from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I had water come up through the drain and enter into the basement of my house. Um, I had water over my foot. It's important to note, you know, that these were organizations that have just, you know, mobilized. These are, this is not, uh, you know, the state or the federal government. Biden, somebody, we need help. I'm getting frustrated at this point. At least do something about it. I didn't get a chance to take my finals. I had a lot going on already. This flood messed up my finals. There is just a, a softness and a, and a curiosity and a kindness that doesn't cost us anything. Some people's response is to be um, firm and strict. We have to respond to trauma with care. I'm Danny Wisentowski. Last week, historic flash floods battered the St. Louis region, submerging cars, flooding homes, and destroying businesses. The unprecedented extreme weather continued this week with more flood warnings and record-breaking rain. It's the human cost that's also overwhelming. Some flood victims spent upwards of eight hours waiting in line at aid centers. The situation is already sparking some reflection about how the region approaches emergency response and also questions about how it will help the victims of the next flood, whether it's tomorrow, next week, or next year. Now, one of those people who waited in line for more than eight hours yesterday outside University City's Centennial Commons, along with hundreds of others, was St. Louis Public Radio's very own Rod Milam. Last week, he was hosting this show the day after he himself experienced flooding at his home in University City, and he joins me today. Rod, welcome. Hey, thank you very much. Rod, just briefly describe the, the damage you experienced last week in the flooding. Well, for me personally, um, outside of the 1,000 people that were in line with me yesterday waiting outside of the community center, I had water come up through the drain and enter into the basement of my house. I do not live in the floodplain of the River De Pair, which uh, those of us in University City, we call it the creek, because um, I'm a native of a U City, even though I've lived all over the planet. Um, and the water was coming up into the basement. Um, I had water over my foot, and, I, and it's happened three different times, and I'm seeing the clouds kind of... Uh, rolling in right now and it's getting me a little nervous. I've already had the basement flood three different times because the river has, every time it has rained since that very first night, um, water has backed up in the river, which means there are people and my neighbors that are down the hill from where I am who are actually in the floodplain. Some of them had cars floating in the water. Some of their basements were completely inundated. And I, further upstream as far as the Metropolitan Sewer District pipes are concerned, I had water coming up into my house and pooling. There's water and devastation everywhere. It's a great point you raise, Rod. We're not just talking about one flooding event, but these are multiple flash floods. Last week, Tuesday and Thursday, and then this week again, flood warnings that occurred uh, Wednesday and yesterday. Now, you and these other folks who've experienced these multiple flooding events, they came to one of these aid centers um, that you were just describing. Mm -hmm. And uh, just describe a bit of that scene, that the thousand people that you were waiting with. What, what was that like? Well, I heard it initially through word of mouth and not even through the newsroom that um, there was going to be a multi-sort of organizational gathering that was going to happen at the community center in Heman Park, which is a large park that dominates University City. And uh, 
it was it was the first, it was the third of three um, that were scheduled when I heard about it on Tuesday. But then there had been extensions of different organizations from the state as well as d- individual cities where people were going to come and gather. What I did not know in the interim, even though I was I was up at seven o'clock in the morning when it was raining as my basement was flooding for the third time, is that the night before when they had the event in North County. Um, they had to shut that line down a lot earlier, and people who had gotten chits or certain tickets saying that they had a place in line to try to see some of these more multi-organizations, um, they were told to show up to U-City. Now, a lot of those people had their homes completely inundated, like their, base, their entire basements were covered, and they had to try to find a way to get there. Some of their houses had been condemned, and it wasn't just University City people who had been affected um, who actually showed up. So on top of it, the, the time, the official time for starting was 3 until 8 o'clock. I said, well, I have work I have to do, plus I have other issues going on. Let me try to show up at 2.30. Maybe I'll be a little bit early. But uh, little did I know, I was easily a quarter mile away from the entrance of the building. Um, and I was before the 8 o'clock or the 3 o'clock start time. And there were people piling up behind me as well. And what happened in the line the more and more people started piling or started lining up and after a while officials or people with and all these people were volunteers who were at the community center they came through they handed out tickets and um, they were little red tickets with numbers on them and if you were in line basically at four o'clock and the line was already more than a quarter mile long they said you need to go to the next event because there's no way you're going to get in and we didn't have a lot of information in the line you kind of got you got to be buddies and friends with everybody who was very close to you, uh, the people who were there. So I got to know them. We did not know we were going to be there for eight hours. We knew it was going to take time. And the line was barely moving, and it, it held to a stop for at least a couple of hours. Um, it, was, it was not good. Wow. And, and Rod, you know, I, I noticed you've actually brought that red ticket yeah. uh, that you just mentioned. It's here, and I see another card that has an insurance consumer hotline. Right. What, what were the resources that they were able to give you once you finally got through that eight-hour line? Yeah, I didn't get in and then into the internal, the inside of the building until eight hours. Then I had another, we had another, I guess, 30 minutes of just being intaken into the system with volunteers all across the area. And most of the people had left. I did not hit the interior of the building until 10 o'clock, 10.15, 10.30. I can't remember. The sun had already gone down, fortunately. Um, but it, it wasn't good. We, the first group that I got in touch with was actually a state organization. It was the Missouri Department of Commerce and Insurance, who I had not had previous touch with. And they uh, apparently are – they oversee what happens – with insurance agencies throughout the throughout the the state to make sure that they're actually per, they're actually doing what their contracts say, and they said you can call this eight hundred number. It was eight hundred seven two six seven three nine zero. If you thought you had any problems um, with your insurance company, or if you just needed help reading through the policies that you had, but that was a quick conversation. You could tell that once I was ferried past the AmeriCorps volunteers who were there and other folks, that this was not. There weren't a lot of people still left. A lot of people had already gone. Um, I did see the Red Cross, but the Red Cross deemed my damage not major but minor because I, quote, unquote, only had a water line of about one to three inches. Major is about is over 18 inches of water. And there were plenty of people, most people that were around me who had more, much more damage than I did. This It was not good for them. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to note, you know, that these were organizations that have just, you know, mobilized. These are this is not, uh, you know, the state or the federal government. There has been 
uh, Governor Parson has requested a federal disaster declaration that could bring in more resources, but it, it sounds like the uh, aid that has, has existed, they were triaging for people who were very you know, seriously damaged, but were they being overwhelmed? Is that what it felt like? Oh, it was definitely overwhelming. It was overwhelming for the, of course, the people who had been directly affected, but I've been on the other side of that. I lived in New York for 12 years, and I was there when I was in New York City when Hurricane Sandy hit, and I helped get have people pass out food, and I helped people dig stuff out of their, their yards, and the volunteer or the volunteerism that was available, I was on the opposite side of it at that time. The system was overwhelmed. The, the the infrastructure was overwhelmed, the whole thing was overwhelmed, and people, as long as you got the red ticket, you were supposed to be able to be seen that day, but if not, there have been three additional days, one meeting that's supposed to take place um, in, uh, in the city of St. Louis, and then another two days um, after Friday, today, and Saturday that's supposed to take place in East St. Louis. And... Uh, if you if you Google that information, you'll find it. But it, it's been tough for everybody, and to say that the system is inundated is very is very much true. Right, and we'll of course have that information online at uh, stlpr.com. Mm-hmm. And it, just very briefly, you know, in the last few seconds we have here, you know, what do people in your position need right now? I am not like most of the people. I think a lot of people were coming from hotels. Uh, they'd spent two or three days, but they really couldn't afford it. After that, um, those are the folks that were directly around me. People need information, and they need non-conflicting information. And since so many different things are coming from so many different areas, it's tough to find out and to make the decision of what you're going to do. Gosh, that that is so tough, Ron. But the more information you have, the better. Of course. Ron, thank you so much for being here mm-hmm. after after such a night and a day and, and a week that everyone has been going through. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. In a few minutes, we'll talk to Action St. Louis Executive Director Kayla Reed about lessons already being learned here from last week's historic flash floods and how St. Louis can support the people who are now putting their lives back together. But first, producers Maya Norfleet and Avery Rogers spoke with several flood victims who are all still reeling from the effects of flash flooding last week. Here's what they had to say. Hi, I'm Mani Kanta Kaveri Patnam. I go by Mani. I live in... Uh, UCT, St. Louis County. My basement completely flooded. We got an email in the afternoon saying it is not safe for us to live in our building from our property manager. They said they were going to provide us a temporary accommodation for just one week, but they also said it was going to take them a week to six weeks to fix everything. It's just really hard to like keep moving with a lot of your belongings, especially when you have a full-time job. My neighbors that I'm very close with, they also moved in with my, me and my girlfriend uh, in my girlfriend's place. It's been almost exactly a week that this happened and we are all still here and we still don't know when we are going to go back to our apartments. My name is Robert Williams, and I live in the Metro East area uh, on the outskirts of Belleville, Illinois. There was so much water, it really flooded our streets, which never happens. Um, But the debris that I'm speaking of about some of the neighbors is that uh, some of the, the contractors would come out and they would 
rip up the, the carpets or uh, if they had laminate flooring, um, but they wouldn't take uh, that debris. They would leave it out for the homeowner to have that removed, which, you know, if you live in the, in the city, you know, you can be cited for, or if you live in an HOA, you can definitely cited for that as well. So it definitely affects uh, that, that homeowner who doesn't want to make it look like they're making the, the neighborhood look bad because of the distant storm. I want my representative to know that we're suffering on an infrastructure level where when there's a storm, there is a lot of damage and an aftermath that comes with it. And we would like to know where is our tax dollars going to improve on those infrastructure uh, issues when it do, do the roads or uh, storm uh, water pipes, um, the, the, everything, even even when it comes to energy as too. You know, uh, we would like to, to have answers for that. My name is George Sells. I'm director of communications and marketing for St. Louis Public Schools. The Thursday storm was the one that really got everybody's attention here. Everybody was at work still when the skies opened up. And I come back in the next morning, and that was when I got the pictures from Soldan. And Soldan's cafeteria was underwater. It had like two and a half feet of water in it. Uh, and it was mostly sewage. It was sewer water. It was not just rainwater. And in addition to that, the floodwaters outside, the flash flooding had been so bad that a dumpster was picked up and carried and slammed into one of the side doors of the building, one of the big metal security doors. And it knocked that thing loose, folded it over almost the way you would dog ear a page in a book. And flood water from the outside came pouring in that way. So Soldan took kind of a double hit. St. Louis Public Schools has a total of 62 schools. So 35 being damaged basically will tell you the damage was all over the city. While we are going to fix as much as we can and we are going to do everything possible to prevent any of these kind of problems from recurring, there's some things you just can't control. I and mean, Mother Nature will outdo what any of us do pretty much whenever she wants to. My name is Ethan Crawford, and I blow glass for a living. I have a TikTok account with a pretty decent following, and I live stream all of my glass blowing on TikTok. I actually did a full tour of the gallery like a couple of hours before the flood happened without knowing that was going to be the last video virtual tour that had ever happened there. The glass furnace got flooded. It doesn't work anymore. It needs to be rebuilt. So we can't blow glass in that um, facility anymore. My name is Kristen Camuso, and I'm a community outreach specialist for the Missouri Coalition for the Environment. Our first concern was as we watched Coldwater Creek water rise and, and breach its banks and head back into the neighborhoods and into the community, is this spreading Manhattan Project radioactive waste throughout the neighborhoods? Um, we know that there's been areas that have been cleaned up along Coldwater Creek. However, there are a lot of areas that are still being investigated, that are still waiting to be cleaned up. Our main concern was, are there new areas of contamination? Is Coldwater Creek still spreading this contamination into homes, businesses, schools, parks, etc.? 
According to the Army Corps of Engineers Foos Rat Program, who is the agency tasked to clean this up, the water itself is not contaminated, but what it does is it's a mode of transport. So it can carry these radioactive particles and leave them wherever these floodwaters go. And as they recede, they will deposit them back into, you know, yards, um, properties around the creek, sometimes inside of homes. As flood victims pick up the pieces after devastating flooding, many are wondering what's next. Best option I can give you is to pay attention to your health. And if you if you notice um, any unusual or new symptoms of illness, such as cancers, um, immediately go tell your doctor. Try to try to be as proactive about your health as you possibly can. I've been able to kind of go viral with a couple videos and get exposure to the GoFundMe. And lots and lots of people have really helped with that. And we're really close to meeting the goal. The glass community has really come together and not only helped clean up the studio, but um, lots of people from all over the country and all over the world have donated to help these artists. During these hard times, it does take a community to, to get through this and reaching out to assist if you have the, the, the ability and means to do it, it would change someone's lives. Climate change is real. Climate change is so real. And I believe this is all related to climate change. We cannot blame anybody for this. Get renter's insurance, always. <laughs> um, yeah, insure as many things as you can, right? That was Mani Kanta Kaveri-Patnam from University City, Robert Williams from Belleville, George Sells with St. Louis Public Schools, glassblower Ethan Crawford, and Kristen Camuso from Missouri Coalition for the Environment. While St. Louis Public Radio photojournalist Brian Munoz was capturing rescue efforts in Hazelwood, he met Courtney Daffin, who had just moved into the reserve at Winding Creek Apartments. When our producer Maya Norfleet spoke with Courtney this week, she shared her account of that morning and what recovery has been like since. My name is Courtney Daffin. I'm 29 years old, and I've lived in the North County area for 29 years. Tuesday of last week, around 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, my life changed. Um, I woke up. Everything flooded. I found out everything I had was gone. The water was right under my balcony. I have the pictures and everything in the back. The freaking basketball court when I looked out the window was all basically water filled to the rim. Um, in my car, I looked up. I tried to look for it. I didn't even see it. My car I just bought like a week before it happened, submerged in the water that I used to go back and forth to school and to work. I didn't get a chance to take my finals. I, mean, I had a lot going on already. This flood messed up my finals. I have a question as far as like. Has any scientist or anybody in that department even tested that water that we have walked through? We haven't got any, any answers about that. We haven't got any answers about anything. Let it be known. That is the water toxic like y'all always, like it's been said for I don't know how long. Can you publicly test that water? Even when you when you're walking through that water, there's so much stuff in there. Even the little kids, I had to pick my baby all the way up because I was scared for her to get anything touched in her because I don't want nothing dissolving to her skin. I don't know. The government needs to do something. Luckily, um, the apartment is so-called. They they had uh, let me cancel my lease. But it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do about my car. They're closing the dang apartment. Um, 
I try to get in touch with Progressive like for what's it two weeks now. They haven't did anything for me. That my car is still sitting over there, and they're talking about closing the place down for no trespassing. So I don't know what to do at this point. They haven't gave us no tow people's numbers or anything. I'm getting frustrated at this point. At least do something about it. Bite in somebody. We need help. And St. Louis is just not a little town. This we got people here going to school to be people. People going to school like I'm trying to go to school to be a healthcare provider, a dental hygiene or nursing. I can't be going through this kind of stuff. This is impacting people that's trying to do stuff with other people. That was Courtney Daffin describing her harrowing experience as floodwaters overtook her apartment in Hazelwood. Of course, there are so many people in Courtney's situation. This week, hundreds waited in lines to get into aid centers, seeking things like shelter, food, and emergency funds. Their lives have been thrown into chaos, and some are trying to deal with issues like car insurance or lost legal documentation, while also finding themselves suddenly homeless. Now, multiple local organizations also mobilized to provide rapid direct aid, and Action St. Louis Executive Director Kayla Reed is here to talk about that ongoing response. Kayla, welcome. Hey, Danny, congrats on your first day hosting. Oh, thank thank you so much, Kayla. It's great to have you here. Uh, Kayla, you and other volunteers from several groups mobilized in response to the flood and with a focus on direct aid. Why was it important for you to take that approach? Yeah, as an organization that really focuses on housing justice, we knew that renters were going to take the brunt of this impact. We knew that they would be. We saw the pictures in North County and there was just profound devastation. And so for us, we knew government and sort of conglomerate organizations were going to come in and that was going to take time and we wanted to stand in the gap. And so as a nimble organization, a a grassroots organization, we did what we do best. We, We did outreach and we provided resources on the spot to folks who um, had lost everything like Courtney. Yeah, no, of course. Um, There's so many people, um, like you say, like Courtney and other places. Uh, Now, I know you've also been uh, pretty vocal about the need for there to be better systems, better infrastructure for these kinds of disasters. Um, Now, uh, now yesterday, Governor Mike Parson uh, submitted a request for a major disaster declaration in the city of St. Louis, and you responded to this on Twitter, and it sounded like uh, you had hoped that this uh, attempt, this declaration, would have come sooner. Uh, Why is that? Well, because we we all woke up to the same pictures and the same information. The devastation was profound um, the next day. And so what was what Parsons did yesterday could have been done a week ago and FEMA could have been on the ground providing direct relief. When we are talking about devastation, we're saying folks have lost their entire apartments, all of their belongings and their car. That's thousands of dollars of relief. Action St. Louis, Arch City Defenders, Black Men Build, Faith for Justice, we've moved close to $100,000 in direct aid, and that's a drop in the bucket to the actual need of people who have been impacted through this uh, disaster. Right. Now, you mentioned FEMA. Now, I should mention uh, this episode is uh, this segment has involved a lot of discussion about University City. And yesterday when I did speak with University City Mayor uh, Gregory Rose, uh, city manager, excuse me, um, he did say that he is in conversation with FEMA, with the federal government. They are waiting and also trying to get these resources together. But it it seems Mm -hmm. like it just takes a lot of time. Uh, Who are the organizations and people that are filling that gap and, and how long can that last? Yeah, I think many organizations are coming together to 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 try to respond in this moment. Um, you have sort of health agencies, you have nonprofits, you have faith organizations. I've seen pop up shelters be created in churches and in community centers. 
food and water be provided in parking lots on the corner of major intersections. Everyone is, a lot of people are trying to step up. Um, the issue that we have though, is when we think about flash floods, we need flash response. We need folks on the ground within 24 hours. And there's been a lot of focus and conversation about U city, but many of these apartment complexes that are completely condemned are in North County and Florissant that are these, these folks are majority black working class like Courtney. Um, and they need assistance on the spot. They need wraparound care. We can't have traditional office hours in rapid response. We need to be nimble and responsive. Um, and what I've seen over the last few days is um, it's been slow. It hasn't been consistent. Um, and we've seen that nonprofits and organizations are having to stand in the gap when really the government should have the capacity to step in and respond to the needs of community during moments like this. Now, Kayla, you, you mentioned, you know, that there's so many people suffering in, in North County and Hazelwood. Tell us a bit more about some of the communities being most effective, affected. And you know, just from what you've seen, do we have a sense for where these needs are at their most critical level? Yeah. So right now, what we see um, since we started this initiative last Friday, the People's Relief Plan, is we've been focused on renters who are in the North County footprint. And so we've talked to folks who are at Winding and Victor uh, Court Apartments um, and other complexes that are completely condemned, that are being fenced up and folks are being told they have to remove whatever belongings they can salvage within three to four days. There are folks in shelters with their families who don't have identification if they were to get assistance, who don't have, um, you know, proper paperwork and the insurance companies aren't responding. So many of these folks who have renter's insurance, they don't cover flooding or their car insurance, their car insurance don't cover flooding. And so the need is actually hard cash. They need resources to be able to rebuild, buy clothes, buy food, find housing, um, and repurchase all of this paperwork and important documentation that they'll need to sort of navigate. And, and this is sitting sort of on the brunt of this happened at the end of July. Many folks have, um, who are not completely displaced had rent due on the first. And so they are trying to figure out what to do with the limited resources that they have on hand to, to stabilize their lives. And, and it's not enough resources flowing right now, Danny, at all. We're talking with Kayla Reed, Executive Director of Action St. Louis, which has been active since last Tuesday in providing aid and resources to the communities affected by the flash flooding. Kayla, you were just talking about some of the specific challenges faced by renters, and I wanted to see if we could uh, drill down a little bit into that. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. so many things that have been... um, you know, I don't want to say floated away, um, but so many little pieces of of their lives that they have to think about their rent. But there are also things like utilities and and legal Mm -hmm. issues. You know, is there are there any things that could be done to to help these people who are now trying to find some solid ground to put their life back together? Yeah, absolutely. So on July 29th, our organizations, um, many of the organizations that are part of the People's Plan Coalition, sent a demand letter to Sam Page and Tashara Jones and other elected officials in our area saying that there are immediate policy things that could just prevent further devastation from happening. We need to put a moratorium on evictions and foreclosure. We need a moratorium on utility shutoffs. Um, Late payments should not be, you know, people shouldn't be getting any late charges right now. And we need government subsidies to increase short-term financial support. 
So we need to expand uh, unemployment funds. We need to increase resources for rapid rehousing. We need to increase resources to area food banks. And then there is the, the question of what are our organizations able, what are these uh, organizations and government agencies able to do together? And I, I just cannot express how many families we've met, oh, well over 100. We have a form that we've submitted. We um, have released just the people who were meeting at these shelters, at these um, multi-agency centers. And we've had over 300 requests for support of families who are saying, I have nothing. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night. My house was completely flooded. Maybe I was able to put a few items in the trash bag and everything else was left behind. And so they are starting completely over um, while still having to go to work, navigate their children, getting enrolled in schools, um, getting whatever they can get from their apartment and finding new places. And, and we have to talk about this in the context that most of the affordable housing in St. Louis County was hit during this flood in North County. And so there are a few places that are affordable where people can rehouse right now in the aftermath of this flood. That's such a good point. There's There's been so many other issues around that affordable housing and, and what people already have to put up with in, in some of these mm-hmm. apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've been at, pretty active on Twitter, I think, describing some of the things that you have encountered uh, at these aid centers, at, you know, meeting these these hundreds, um, you know, these dozens of folks. And, and one of the things that people might have seen yesterday are these images uh, out of University City of hundreds of people in line waiting for at this aid center. And that same day, um, they put out a press release saying, you know, as another flood warning was coming in yet again, they were shutting yeah. down. They, they asked, you know, people do not come here. We're at capacity. We're at there, there could be another flood warning. Um, mm-hmm. What did you see in that? It sounded like you felt that, you know, telling people to, to go away uh, was not the right move there. Yeah, so I've been at both um, events uh, the last two days. So I was in Florissant um, the day before yesterday in U-City yesterday. The uh, And each day, I think all these organizations are learning lessons. But what we saw was that folks who are coming to these events are the most severely impacted. They didn't have the insurance. They didn't, they're not getting the aid. They don't, they have so many questions and not getting any answers. And so what we saw was in the middle of a massive storm that was hitting um, that area, we were sending people out into out into the storm. And for me personally, that was very frustrating because these folks don't have cars. They were catching the bus. They were catching Ubers. They were using their last to get there. Um, And our response was to say, we can't hold this and we need to send you back out without any resources. And I just think when we're going to continue to see this type of climate impact, we're going to continue to see infrastructure failing. We have to build the backbone. We have to build the infrastructure to stand in the gap and really help people. Um, and respond to them with kindness and generosity and answer their questions. Because in the middle of all of this, you know, these, this is a traumatic event, Danny. These folks woke up in a flood and had to walk through water to get to safety. And so we're not even dealing with the trauma, the mental health impact, the physical ailments that people are experiencing. We're just trying to stand in the social service gap of the need. Now, Kayla, you tweeted uh, on Wednesday, I think something you know that is close to this issue you've just raised, uh, you, you wrote that we need to overhaul disaster relief efforts. They need to be rapid and powerful. People need to feel seen, heard, and cared for. Mm-hmm. How do we get to that point? Yeah, I think we need to, um, we really need to have more communication between our organizations and our government to build the capacity to hold folks who are impacted during these moments. What that looks like for me is having 24-hour response 
to the needs of folks. People are going to come into shelters. We saw folks at um, the Egan Center a few days ago who worked overnight. They came in, they heard about our organization being on site, cutting checks, and they called and we answered every question that we knew how to answer. We're providing legal advice on the spot. Well, we're not. Actually, our city defenders is providing legal um, advice on the spot. We're building uh, tools where people can pass information around to each other. But more than that, there is just a, a softness and a, and a curiosity and a kindness that doesn't cost us anything. And I think when moments are chaotic and they feel overwhelming, sometimes our response, uh, some people's response is to be um, firm and strict. And we can't replicate um, those types of systems when folks are dealing in, in trauma. We have to respond to trauma with care um, and an informed um, response. Kayla, now... You, you you talked about like what these organizations can do to help people, and I'm curious. Mm-hmm. The governments themselves, as I said, um, you know, City Manager Gregory Rose in University City, waiting on uh, FEMA, waiting on the federal government, and yeah. I think a lot of local governments are in the same position. They're they're waiting for the greater uh, tranche of resources to be opened. What a disaster declaration could you really uh, put a ton of resources um, in not just in St. Louis City and County, but in the other areas of Missouri, where a total of uh, I believe the number is more than seven hundred homes have been damaged. What could mm-hmm. governments be doing to try to better tailor these responses and, and to have some of that compassion that you were just mentioning? Yeah. So, you know, in, inside of our organization, this moment was all hands on deck. It didn't matter what department you worked in. It didn't matter what hours you normally were working. We were responding to folks. So we did everything from carry bags of clothes to metro buses as folks move shelter to shelter to set up a table just to answer questions and providing direct relief. Our governments have resources, whether it's ARPA money, whether it's emergency funding, to activate and move their teams to the field. Sometimes these multi-centers, they, they work, they're a centralized space, but also when folks have lost their home and transportation, we need to be outside. And that has been our response. So when that line yesterday at U-City was all the way down to Olive Street, we sent our field team, the same folks who knocked doors during election time, we went out into that line and collected people's information because we knew they weren't all going to get in. So there's just a way in which we have to expand and stretch ourselves to meet this moment. And I think, you know, both um, Mayor Jones and uh, County Executive Page are listening to these moments, are listening to these conversations and trying to figure it out and, and have been calling the governor to make this request um, to the president and, and to get FEMA here. And also that process, we can't play party politics when people are suffering. We need to be as responsive and, and quick as possible. And so I'm disheartened that it took the governor a week to make that request, but I've seen people standing in the gaps, but we can't rely on nonprofits um, and religious organizations to hold that infrastructure while the government takes its time. And Kayla, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are wondering, what, what can they do to help in this moment? Items, money, uh, what, what guidance would you have for them? Yeah, I think you should find an organization that you've seen do the work and, and contribute both your time and resources if you can. We've had over 100 volunteers help us move the hundreds of bottles of cases of water um, and, and build supply care packages and deliver them to folks. So there's real opportunity. And, and the thing I will say to someone who wasn't severely impacted in this moment is that life may feel normal to us once again, but our neighbors, the members of our communities, they are suffering. And this, this is not... Um, as fast as that devastation happened, the need is going to be long-term. And so be thinking about that as we 
you know, think about where we're donating our time and our resources. Um, and there are many organizations to contribute to. We have not asked the public for donations. We've been um, requesting from our funders and, and, and other agencies that we're in relationship with to move resources. But you can absolutely go to our website to sign up for volunteer shifts as we continue to mobilize resources to connect people to help. Um, and, I'm, and I just want to say to folks who have volunteered their time, we have also dealt with high temperatures and then very intense rain and people have stayed the course throughout that and i'm just truly grateful and and heartened to see that that level of community it's such a great point kayla and, and i appreciate you for being here so much uh, kayla reed is the executive director of action st louis kayla again thank you for being here thank you Daniel. this episode was produced by emily woodbury our audio engineer is aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Avery. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.